0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Senior Strength and Conditioning Coach at the US Olympic Committee, Tim Pillow. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Valve Performance, the team behind the Nordboard hamstring testing system. So the Nordboard is the fastest and easiest, most accurate way to measure hamstring strength in under 90 seconds. So the Nordboard gives you the right information so you can make the right decisions for your players at the right time. So it's already in use by over half the Premier League uh, and dozens of other elite teams around the world. Uh, so the Nordboard testing system is the is On its way to becoming the gold standard for measuring and monitoring hamstring strength. So, if you are interested in getting to know anything more about the Nordboard, you can visit Valdperformance, that's V A L D Performance.com to find out more. Thanks for tuning in to episode 79 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So, just before we get started, want to apologize for my horrendous uh, cold like voice. So, I've got a very bugged up nose, so massive apologies for that. Um, Today, we've got Tim Hello coming from, well, he came to us from Amsterdam. Uh, That's where the interview was taking place. He was doing some some work out there. Uh, But he works for the US Olympic Committee, and we discuss everything from creating influence to uh, mentors uh, and and, and management and leadership. So it was a really interesting chat with Tim, kind of not going down the really practical route, but something that really interests me at the moment with regards to leadership and management styles and and how to create that that within your environment. So I hope you enjoyed the chat with Tim. Uh, As always, if you've got any feedback whatsoever for, for me, uh, tim or the podcast as a whole um, i'd love to hear that so i'll get rid of this horrible voice uh, enjoy episode seven today with tim and i'll speak to you soon thanks for tuning in to the pacey performance podcast so today we have tim pillow on the phone coming from sunny amsterdam or by his recent tweet called amsterdam um so just before I get Tim in, just want to thank him for his time on a uh Monday evening. Uh and welcome to the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Tim.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate you uh uh
0: having the interest and uh inviting me to be here. I'm honored. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. So do you want to give us a little bit of a intro on yourself? Um uh, maybe a little bit about your background and what you currently do and why you're in Amsterdam?
1: Yeah, no problem. Um, I uh, so, so I am the uh, senior strength and conditioning physiologist uh, for the United States Olympic Committee, and I've been in my role here since uh, two thousand ten. Uh, my primary responsibilities lie with the men's indoor volleyball team, uh, beach volleyball and the women's senior national team for water polo and i'm coming to you uh right now from uh, just a small city outside of amsterdam called zeist we are here with my water polo team we're here on, on a week of training uh next week we begin a tournament that will decide our fate to make it to the Olympic games. So this is a we only have one and only shot to to get the berth, to get the ticket to the games. And uh we're here trying to get it done right now.
0: So massive pressure for you guys. How are you as a strength coach? How aiding the guys in kind of prep around the pressure side of things as well as the physical side of things? Well, I think you know
1: one of the things that that will that maybe we can get into a little bit is is my role. You know, I am I like to say that I'm in the trenches, um, and I know a lot of strength coaches will talk about that metaphor. Uh, and typically, I think when and I use that as well, they talk about it in the form of being in the trenches, being in the room and in the environment where you know the athletes are grinding you know they're sweating and they're working hard and they're investing uh boatloads of energy and effort into their physical development but i i mean i am that is the world that i operate in on top of traveling with the teams um so not only am i in the weight room um i'm on the sidelines and i'm at practice And I'm on the plane and I'm at dinner and I'm in video (laughs) and I'm I'm on the bus. Uh And and so part of that um, is a little bit different. I think uh, when you're embedded within the sports and the teams that you work with, it gives you some interesting insight uh, and some perspective on the athletes. Um, So for me, my role, as you had asked, What is my role is uh, in this time when intensity and pressure is at an all-time high because we have 13 athletes that their lifelong goal uh, is on the line and coaches whose life, you know, their career, not career by any means, but their performance is being judged as well is on the line. My goal is to remove barriers and not create distraction, mm. um, and and to help out. And so, if it's me picking up a bag, if it's me going above and beyond, it's me serving. Um, it's it's finding ways to help take stress and strain off of the stress and strain of our situation.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing that interests me, Tim, is that the fact that you've you've mentioned all them. Kind of situations where you are it, and it's how you how you kind of separate yourselves and you, or you separate yourself and you stay as a coach and don't flip into that kind of f- like almost friendship side of things how do you manage that personally because i know from from my personal point of view first starting out uh, in a in a football club that was, I found that quite hard because I'd played football. The guys knew that I'd played football. So I, I kind of had that in common that we'd, I'd been there and I found it quite hard to make that adjustment to flip in and out of that. How do you, how do you go about that, being around him so much?
1: Man, that is a, Robert, it's a really um, fascinating question, to be honest with you. And I say fascinating because it's been an evolution of mine. You know, and part of part of one of my strengths that I believe is, is is emotional intelligence, and I think that that's one thing if I could recommend to up and coming or future or aspiring strength coaches is that it's very important to be smart uh, in the things that we do. Your IQ is key, but your emotional intelligence will tell you a lot more. When you're working with, you know, athletes as you know, in a full-time scenario or even in a part-time scenario, so for me to answer your question, um, how do I keep that relationship, that coach-athlete relationship? Well, um, I think it, I think it comes down to two things. Um, I think it comes down to being aware of the current situation, being aware, like let's say at at a dinner. You know, and topics get discussed or how much do I get into this conversation and I have to be careful with the things that I may say um, or or I need to at some point. Sometimes I just got to realize the best thing for me to do right now is just to walk away, um, to not get pulled into this. Um, The other side of it is, um, you know, I spend you know, one of my big and this probably goes into a little bit of one of our topics is this idea of uh, athletes who are willing to work for you um, versus athletes who are working because they have to. Uh, And I think one of my core values is to find ways to increase my influence with my athletes and their level of buy-in with me in the things that we do in the strength shop, is what we'll call it, um, versus me just telling them that they have to do something. So I'm not sure if that kind of dives in a little bit to that question and also into the next maybe arena there.
0: No, it does, mate, yeah. Um, and and buy-in is kind of a, certainly was a, was a big thing for me. Um, in an environment that wasn't, the the program wasn't particularly ingrained um, at the club where I was at. So I, obviously that that's that's very different for you. Um, but how are you kind of maintaining that that buy in and and like you say, making sure that they're doing it because it, they want to do it, and it, you're kind of creating that environment rather than you telling them what to do. So giving them more autonomy.
1: Well, I think, you know, it, I can sum it up in, in one quote that I came across many years ago. And then once I, once I read it, it, like, it hit me uh, like a ton of bricks. And it really has uh, helped me in, in my process and because, you know, as I grew up in this profession, uh you know i have had a lot of I, you know i've come up through eight different mentors uh, many of those were heads of departments Um some of them were at the usoc some were them uh, in different strength and conditioning environments others were not at the usoc or in strength conditioning they were biomechanists and exercise physiologists um, And one of the things that I was really wrapped up in is a really intense science evidence-based model of training, which I I am, I believe in wholeheartedly. But one of the things that came across my radar was this, was this quote. And the quote was, uh, let's see if I can remember it. It goes, the worst program in the world performed with high levels of energy and high levels of passion will outperform the most scientific, perfect program performed half-ass. And when you think about that quote, it's real. I mean, if you've been Mm -hmm. in the trenches And you've been with guys or girls, and you had to lead an individual or a team of people. And you spend hours and hours writing your program, your, your, your model on whatever it may be. And then your guys show up or you show up to the facility, and they could care less. Um, Or, maybe they don't care less, maybe they're really excited about training, but they're not excited about training the way that you want them to train. And in the environments that I've been in, um, different strength shops all over the country, uh, I have lived in about seven different states in the past 10 years um, along my journey, and it's... That was one thing when I came across that quote, it rang true in every single scenario that I had been in. And so for me, my goal at that point wasn't about trying to get athletes just do what I, you know, what I wanted them to do on the day and, and get mad when they don't do it, because that's all it really does, or is really to get to the point where understanding that I went to school and I have spent at this point, 16 years in this field, learning, trying to learn every day and trying to find more mentors and, um, you know, work with, you know, try to find more colleagues to talk in the strength shop um, about or with. And um, I, 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 my goal nowadays is just to, uh, is to try to get the athletes to value the training the way that I do. Because they're not going to value it for the most part, I mean, you might have your your three percenters that you know that are going to really be overly excited and learn and want to do the training the way that you do. Um, I think it depends upon the discipline that you work in, whatever sport that is, and if it's team-based sports versus some individual-based sports. I think some some sports have a culture for training, and others may not. And so you might have to be a driver when it comes to creating value around training that we are so passionate about creating um so that's where it all kind of stemmed from so for me it's about influence um so my goal is is to find ways to gain more of it um i want to gain more influence because i want the athletes to do what i want them to do i mean at the end of the day because i I, my my goal is to help them um it's not for me to, to to for them to do my science; it's for me to help them. So, in order to do that, um, if I don't have influence with them, it's not going to
0: happen. So, how do you go? How do you go about creating that influence? Well, there's, there's
1: I mean, that's a, it's a really, it's a really vast, yes, yeah, with lots yeah. of content here, but, but I can, i I'll I've been into a couple avenues. I think one of the things that, that we tend to do is we think about it as a Pavlov theory where, you know, we hit the tuning fork and the dog salivates. You know, we make the training, the athletes will do it. Um, and I think that um, I've just, I've, I've, I've uh, you know, and our goal is, you know, is to study the stimulus so that we can get the response. So for me, in that theory of being a good, good helper, is I don't know how I can help unless I ask questions. And so, you know, years ago, uh, I was a really smart guy and I, you know, had all this science that I was armed with. And I we used to just go shooting, you know, from the hip um, and telling athletes they need to do this and telling athletes they need to do this and telling athletes they need to do this because I know it's better for you than you do. Now, this is strictly my environment. Um, but what I learned is if I just start asking them questions and, and start with listening before telling, it really helps, uh, it really helps get them to be much more interested in listening to you. It's as simple as that may sound, Rob, right? Like it's simple, but the reality of it is, is we come in super hot and super heavy with all of our hard science and we were the smartest guys in town. And we know about the body and training more than the sport coaches may. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if they're not willing to listen to us. Well, the first step is, well, if we don't we gotta listen to them because it's their body. And you know, maybe they don't want to get better, but we assume that they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think it I think it comes back to it comes back to relationship. And 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 that's the the foundation of influence. And if I don't, and it comes back to getting to know that person before, you know, thinking about them as being a laboratory experiment. And so, for me, my my goal, in order to like first step in creating influence, is I've got to spend time. I've got to get to know them. I have to ask them tons of questions. You know, I need. You know, I need to know. Uh, A lot about them. And once they realize, and this is, I mean, this is, it sounds, it sounds like rocket science right now, but it it really isn't. (laughs) But as soon as they realize that I'm interested in them, interested in them, and I am interested in helping, because then at that point, they're willing to listen to me. They know that I care about them enough to ask questions. They know that I care about them enough so that I can make sure that I'm just not generating. And now the program that I might have written might be the exact same program that I would give them before talking to them. But for them, they don't know that until I have that conversation. You know, so I think there's a step that that I used to I, I'm, I'm guilty here. So there's a step that I used to just miss out on. And over the course of my, my life and the course of my time in this field, I've, bec- I've found that my program results the, um, uh, have been heavily influenced uh, from the testing that we do to the medals that we win uh, to the level at which my athletes, uh, or not my athletes, the athletes that I work with, uh, embrace their training um, have all been heavily influenced on me just having having a relationship with them first around them being a person and me just being up front and telling them and asking them, hey, how can I help you? What are we trying to do here? And then uh, that's where it begins. That's where the, the spark happens.
0: Do you, Do you think this that process could have been could have been speeded up? if you had been exposed to that kind of thinking during your education, is that something that can be put in a undergrad? It's a C or is it something that, I don't know. Is it something that can you just figure out? You no, know, there's the, there, you know,
1: the, so one of the things that I aspire to do, and I and I work on this daily, I'm 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 guilty, and I'm I'm not I'm not great, and I try I need to be better. Is I just I I, I try to be the best learner that I can, and and it, what that means is I need to learn more science. I need to talk to people that are much smarter than myself. So I need to I need to you know I need to make myself vulnerable and tell people that I don't I don't know everything because I don't. You know, the, I, I know the things that I know and I'm very confident in them. And I have had, um, I've been somewhat successful in, in, in this field. Um, but I'm also willing to tell people that I don't know at all. And I think that um, some people, uh, some people pride themselves on, on making sure that they let everybody know how much they know. And to me, that if I possess that mentality, that's a barrier that is created between me and my athlete because as soon as they realize that I'm human, uh, then they immediately, start to think, wow, okay, well, he's human too. He makes mistakes. He doesn't know it all, but what he does know he's whatever it may be to answer your question. I think the university and the, co- in the college setting has a real, there's a challenge here uh, because we can't learn these kind of things in a classroom. We, you know, the classroom is a situation where we're asked to pass or fail, or we're right or we're wrong. You know, and I think when it comes to the hard, the hard sciences, which I'm a big advocate of and I try to put my eyes into journals weekly, is... In order for something to get published, it has to be right or it has to be wrong. It has to meet a certain criteria in order to make it to the process, uh, the, the peer reviewed process, in order for the data to be significant. Well, I operate, I don't operate in areas that's black and white. I don't operate in, in a world where everything is either perfect or not perfect. Um, I operate in a world that's all great. And on any given day, it's trying to make the best decisions on a the, on the specific day based upon the science and the evidence that, that I'm aware of or know of. Um, and it does, it's not pretty. It doesn't, look, it doesn't look as black and white or as right or wrong. And I think as soon as we can embrace that mentality or that process, we can gain that learner's um, mindset. And and it's actually quite liberating, <laughs> because then you st- you don't feel like you have to be the smartest guy in the room, and it's so and you find that it's okay to not know it all, um, and it's actually quite humbling because the more people that I talk to, the more people, the more that it proves that
0: you know, you know uh, 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 just a, a lot. Of
1: more smart people out there than me. So, to answer your question, can it be taught? It can be taught, but it has to be um, in an environment where where people can can get their feet wet and they can make mistakes. And it has to be in an environment where they can, people can get feedback. And it has to be in an environment that can embrace failure and see failure as a positive. Um, Fail safe environments are are one of the best learning hotbeds that we can all get into because without failing, then we don't know that we need to make a correction.
0: Mm-hmm. so for the for the young up and coming coach first our second job obviously there's as we know there's more people wanting to get into this industry than, than the jobs that it can can provide that is there <coughs> how how are they going about to, you know putting themselves in that environment that is conducive to to learning and going through the process that you've gone through um, how how can they make sure that they they're choosing their right place of work rather than their place of work choosing them, and then finding out, mm. oh shit, I'm kind of not yeah. doing anything here. I don't know. So that's yeah. that's pretty. That's more of a statement than a question, really. But how can how can you as a, how can the, the young coach make sure that they're in the right environment, and if they're not, how can that environment be changed for them to? to fulfill the potential as a coach
1: well rob i'll start with um i actually get approached very often um i don't know almost on a weekly basis with somebody who has a position available in some sort of uh, collegiate university uh professional setting Uh, this past year it actually blew me away uh how many people were coming to me and asking me if i knew somebody Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and, and the thing is, is, and everybody, not everybody, but most people will tell you, you know, the, the common theme of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, and I, that that's, that's just, it rings so true. Um, I failed and, um, I learned a lot, you know, back when I used to, not, not used to, but back when I was younger, because, and I'll 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 follow up fo- fully. I'm just kind of starting and prefacing here. It's funny. me. Um, is uh, you know I used to be the guy who wanted to to chase the job title. You know I wanted the job title. I wanted to be um, the associate director. You know I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be uh, seen as a head S and C. I wanted that. I thought you know I thought that was what I wanted. Um and. I started trying to find ways to make that happen. Well, as you start getting, working your way through the food chain, if you will, you start realizing that maybe those some, there's some positions that you thought you might want. Once you get them, they're not anything like you thought they would be. Uh, the responsibilities that you have, the people that you have to answer to. Um, the role that you have, the, the amount of administrative stuff. I mean, if you, if your goal is to be hands-on and be a coach, things just start to change that you don't put into perspective. The, the, the staff you have to hire, the, the managing the conflicts potentially within staff and keeping staff happy. Um, there's just things that you just, you know, that sometimes, I think that stuff is, is fun now, but back then I, I wasn't very, uh, I wasn't much into. So, and you know depending upon where you are you could have the best job title in the world but if you have a boss that is not a good leader or you have to work along other staff members that are just you know sticks in the mud it could make your job horrible terrible you could go to work every day and hate everything that you do and and so for me going back to your question how do you get through that process my 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 suggestion is 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 don't go chase the titles my suggestion is um and how do you how do you how does a young strength coach get into these worlds it's it's not about knowing more science i mean if you if you've gone to school and you're you know passionate about the science and you're prescribing your science and you're tuning your science i think that's the other side it's one thing to prescribe it but are, you, are we relearning the responses that we're getting from what we're prescribing? And do we test and, t- and do we tune it moving forward? You know, we got to be good learners of programming as well, not just in regards to our athletes, but other factors. And where I'm going is you have – it's about chasing the right people. You know, my, my, my journey put me in a path where I was very fortunate – to position myself around some very heavily, highly influential people who were very, very smart, who were very established in this field. And um, because of my nature at, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm blessed and I'm very fortunate for them. They laid the foundation for me. And all I tried to do was do a really, really st- stand-up job for them. And because of that, they helped me out. Um, So for me, my recommendation to those is don't go. It's not about chasing job titles. It's not about chasing a franchise or a a league or a team. It's about finding the right people that you can spend your time with who are going to teach you and who are going to invest in you and who are going to, you know, at some point when it's time to to leave the nest, they're going to help you take that next step because they know people. And that's, so for me, it's just, it's about, again, the root of it all. It just comes back to relationship.
0: So who were, who were them uh, mentors as you, as you progressed, Tim?
1: Uh, uh, physiologist JT Kearney. Uh, I worked with, under Lauren Landau, who's at Steadman Hawkins and, or well, not anymore. He uh, was with Steven Hawkins. Um, I worked with Patrick Borkowski and John Carlock um I worked for uh, I opened a business and I had for I was fortunate enough to have an investor who was a, a CEO of a fortune 500 company wow. who invested a lot of a lot of time and a lot of very seasoned experience in me um so it just it comes from a business world it comes from a coaching world it comes from a very scientific world and that's kind of the world I'm, I'm a product of that I'm I'm a product of my mentors, and not to say that I don't work really hard at being innovative and creative and creating my own things, but the mindset that I have is a product, and uh, of those who who showed me a little bit of the way.
0: How did the how did the business mentor and the business side of things help you moving forward? Because that's something that that's something that interests me. Um, I'm just wondering how that how that helped you along the way? And did it give you a slightly different perspective Have you kind of tapped into that world a little bit more?
1: Well, the entre- I mean, the entrepreneurial side is always kind of a fashion, uh, you know, it's something that is, I have a little bit of that inside of me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure at what point I'll re-pursue that. I did have a facility that I was running for a little bit of time prior to my re-engagement back with the USOC. Um, but he taught me a ton. He taught me a lot about managing people he taught me about leadership and he taught me about how we can look at the ROI at the end of each month and we can look at the numbers and they can say one thing or the other. But at the end of the day, if the numbers say one thing, but the customers are happy and excited and, and, and and very uh, out there spreading the word like wildfire, well, the ROI this month might not be so good, but we're investing in in different ways that six months and ten months and twelve months from now are going to come back and uh, that we're going to reap the benefit from. So the 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 data, the the crunching of numbers when you look at those those P and Ls, those profit and loss sheets, um, is really quite interesting. And uh, just about just about investing in people, and I, I take that I take that philosophy and that methodology and i apply that to the world of strength conditioning because my goal is to help and serve and make my athletes better and i do it by investing in them uh and investing in them in a way that i can help them and that's usually in a in a very scientific thought process
0: Mm -hmm. so you mentioned there um about leadership and management i was having a conversation recently uh with someone about the kind of journey of uh the journey of a, a strength coach, and you, you've mentioned it just there, kind of going from an intern to an assistant, from an assistant to a, mm-hmm. a lead, mm-hmm. lead to a potential management position. And it, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much, well, I'm guessing and I, I think I'm right. At no point in there is someone saying, this is how you manage people, but that, that coach does less coaching and all of a sudden is in charge of potentially a number of staff. How have, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm looking at your, just one of my many, um, stalking expeditions on, on Twitter and LinkedIn, looking at your job title with senior. I'm guessing that there's a mm-hmm. junior somewhere on there. How are you? And well, I suppose this goes into your past as well with the, um, with the facility. How have you kind of learned that management of people?
1: Well, I think, you know, you have to, you know, and this is another philosophy, like when, uh, well, let me, Rob, let me, let me step back here. Give me, let me grab a thought. Give me a minute. Go for it. Um, So let me, let me describe uh, leadership in this regard. So for me, and, and many, I'm sure there's many people that listen to your podcast that this might fall into their realm. Um, You know, we have different levels of sport. You know, we have very developmental, we have, um, you know, youth, developmental, uh, collegiate, amateur, Olympic, professional. And, you know, we can call it elite, non-elite, developmental, however you want to, you know, reference it. But the the athletes that I work with, um, if you were to take their sport and their discipline, they rose to the top. So for them, they're considered the leaders of their sport. And so for me, the cha- one of the things that, that, that is really important is uh, when it comes to – it's one thing to, to work with somebody. It's one thing to influence them or lead them, but it's another when you're having to influence and lead leaders, um, and that's a whole that's a whole nother animal. Those are really strong personalities um, because the, the people in the world they operate in really gives them a lot of credit and they give them a lot of, uh, you know, they get just the, a lot of attention and a lot of people don't give them things that they don't like. Um, they give them things that make them feel good and they make them, uh, you know, they give them lots of positive affirmations so I think the thing when it comes to leadership and managing staff is that you got to understand who you're leading, um, and you have to. In order to lead somebody, you can't you can't lead somebody if you don't know who they are. You know, if you're a salesman and a family comes in and they're looking to buy a new car, and you see that they have two kids and one in the oven, you're not going to go sell them a two seater sports car. You know, you're going to be walking over to the SUVs and the minivans. So. For me, we, I take that approach with the athletes. You know, I, I need to know about you. I need to know how I can serve you through how I can lead you through serving you. And that's that's a whole like a It's a whole concept of servant leadership. Um, because if I can gain your influence and I can serve you and fill your gaps and give you feedback that's going to make you better, and you're willing to take it because. I'm not a threat to you and I'm not telling you what to do because I respect you. If I can show you the respect, then you're going to, then, you know, it's usually pretty reciprocal. (laughs) If I can give you respect, you're going to somehow respect me. But if I come in all hot and heavy, then it's vice. It may not be that way. Um, trying to, to go back around to your, your topic here is, um, I think, uh, the concept of man we were told- you were asking about staff, is that correct?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, but it can it can be transferable to to your team as well, so, to your athletes.
1: So I think one of the so one of one of my experiences is I had a I had a lawyer or an esquire at one point in time who was my direct supervisor. And when that happened, um he was all about checks and balances. He wanted to make sure that everything was covered. Um, I needed to check in, I needed to check out, I needed to write down who I had conversations with, what athletes I worked with, what teams I spent time with, how many hours I spent with them, how many hours I spent talking to the coaching staff, how many hours and who on the sport medicine staff that I talked to. So at the end of that week, I spent two hours recollecting all of the notes that I took all week long so that I can submit it in my report for the end of the week. I'll tell you what all. will did was just, it, it drove me insane. <laughs> and it really, and, and it, and it really created a lot of angst in me toward that model and way of, of coaching people and trying to, cause he was my supervisor. He could do two things. He could lead me and influence me to be better or, you know, or he could just, you know, just let me do what I wanted to do and, and, you know, so-called manage me. Um, but he had this micromanagement style. And one of the things that, you know, it's to, to dwell to delve into is this idea of how we treat our athletes. So I think this, again, all of these philosophies that I practice and my methods are just, uh, are me making mistakes and me being a good learner of my environment. So the athletes that I work with, I have to, I'm very careful of how I manage the relationship that I have with them. So for me, I, I mean, I have... Um, Rob, there are a lot of companies that, that, that want to give me products or that want to, uh, have me use their systems on our, my teams. And my first, you know, one of the things that I have to take into consideration is how much control does, does this, I use the word control because that's what the athletes hear. That's what they see sometimes. hmm and so, for, so for me, am I taking? Am, am I doing something that is going to see it as I'm trying to control them? Um, and you know, one of the things that I'm aware of is that leaders don't like to be controlled. They don't like to be handcuffed. You know, they like to have. They like to. They like to be. They like to be led, but they like to be respected, and they like to have their opinion and their input. They want it to be to be heard, and they want it to be taken into consideration. And so, for me, with with elite sport and elite athlete, if I approach them in a way where I'm micromanaging them by getting on them every single minute about every single aspect of their day, and trying to take away potentially some personal freedoms when it comes to the things that they eat. I mean, don't be wrong. Well, let me let me preface like we are very. Through my relationship, I have a lot of influence and I can make some – we we do a lot of really positive things. But without that, if I just go through and start checking boxes and asking questions, what – I end up – and I, I run this. Um, over time, some of the information that I get may not be as accurate as I think it is. Uh, and I make decisions based upon that. So. Um, it, I'm not sure if you know where I'm going with that, but, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, the, the methodologies and the strategies that we practice, if we want to, to turn athletes up, we want to get staff excited about, you know, working under you. We want to get athletes excited about training with you and working with you. You know, we have to be aware of our style and our approach and the way that we lead them or manage them.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you read a book called drive Tim?
1: I have not. that's I've read lots of books. Uh, this is a pretty like I was telling you this is a a pretty hot topic for me because it's as it seems as if every time I hop on social media, um, or every time I hop on whatever, there's this new, latest, greatest, and there's this new thing, or if I'm not doing this, then I'm not training right. <laughs> um, or you know, you can't be successful without this. And to me, those are all band-aids trying to cover up a gunshot wound. Like it, that's 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 not. It's not going to do anything. So for me, it's about influence. Um, it's about being authentic, and it's about really being, you know, being in it for the athlete. Um, I have a lot of colleagues that are that are that are researchers, and we have we have researchers with the USOC, and they come back to me after every conversation they have with our uh, with our really. Uh, our researchers, because they want to know my opinion about that conversation. Even though the leading expert in the field <laughs> gave them the information, they don't care. They want to hear about what I have to say, and they want my opinion because the, they they respect it more. So it's uh, yeah. Uh, there you go.
0: No, no, and the and the reason I mentioned um, the book just because it was it was recommended to me. Um, recently, and I, I kind of whizzed through it because it was great. Um, and it mentions the the four T's um, around autonomy, whether that be it, it mentions staff. Um, it's kind of management leadership book, but it can be also definitely um, replicated when it comes to athletes, and that's giving them task, team, technique, and time. Giving autonomy around them for obviously, there's a sliding scale um, mm-hmm. on it on each one of them things, but I think it was really. It kind of hit home with me from a, a kind of professional point of view, um, but I can definitely see that from a from a kind of management of athlete point of view in 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 allowing that certain amount of autonomy um, with them for things. So that now was that you, was have, inter- you,
1: have you have you sorry, to interrupt. Have you ever been in a situation where you have an athlete who you know doesn't have the right, you know, the most positive lifestyle outside of the training environment? Yes. <laughs> right. And, or you know that they're going to go, you know, drink a bunch of beers, you know, after their, after their match and they just won. And their body is completely annihilated from the physiology level. And they're, you know, they're micro-torn. They're completely nutrient, and, nutrient depleted. They're completely dehydrated. And they're just going to go get ripped with the boys mm-hmm. for the next six to eight hours. You know, or you have somebody that you're working on body composition with, and you're trying to get them to be leaner so that you can increase their power-to-weight ratio, and you find out that they just can't not have a cheeseburger every night of the week, or they want to drink a bottle of wine every night. So for me, I, I I've 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 rubbed I've banged my head against the wall by being the guy who's just trying to say no 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 no, versus hey if i can get their buy in and they and they know that i have their best interests they're going to listen to the things that i say and th- they may not do everything that i say but at least they know that i'm in their head and they're honestly going to probably make the probably the right decision so i can impact their behavior versus the immediate moment of hey don't eat that slap your hand or they only make those decisions when they're around me at the training table so for so we have you know, a lot of, uh, other, um, professionals, uh, service provider professionals that come in and they will talk to the athletes, but they do it in a, in a very distant non-relationship way and provide such some of the greatest stuff, uh, when it comes to the scientific content that there is, but the athletes don't listen. They don't care. And it's, and it's not that, I mean, you and myself and everybody who's excited about exercise science and, Sports science would just gobble it up like it's nobody's business. But it's not about me. It's not about the sports science. It's, it's about getting the information from us in a way that translates and transfers to the athletes so that they can make the decisions and they can do the right things so we can get the right responses that we're looking for. So,
0: Absolutely. No, 100%. Well, the, them, them people that not saying that, your guys in particular, but we've had – in the past, we've had um, people come in to talk, whether it be from a kind of psychological point of view, and you can see yeah. that you can see that you can see the younger boys, especially the younger boys that I used to work with, thinking that guy's leaving in ten minutes. I'm not going to see him for another six weeks. So exactly right. Why? Why should I listen? And that, that, yeah, that you know, wasn't and- that wasn't necessarily the guy's fault. That was just the situation he was in with the club. But the lads didn't care about that. Like that. This, well, this guy uh, rocks up every four weeks, tells us a bunch of stuff and disappears. Like, hey, oh, and man. he's the, and
1: he's the international expert. He's probably got about 50,000 Twitter <laughs> followers and, <laughs> exactly and I'm like not, not even shit. kidding. But, and, and you know, they could, and honestly that guy could care less about the athlete. He's more carried or that guy or girl is more interested in their profile and their, and their street credibility and, or, or, or their, uh, you know, their whatever, their, uh, Presence and uh, that 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 they have. So, if the ones who have the relationships with the athletes, the athletes will always see them as a trusted confidant, and they will approach the athlete about questions. I have athletes that come ask me questions if it's true or not when a sports psychologist or a sport dietitian. Those aren't my fields. We have very specific people assigned to those teams and those sports. And those are and, and I have to be honest with them, like, hey, I know a little bit about this. I have to defer to the expert, but they're coming to me after they just you know had a, they just had a meeting with that person. and And they do that because I have the relationship. So if you want to have the most impact and you want your training to take its full effect and you want the adaptation to take place, because that's what we're really into it for, right, Rob? We're not in it to stimulate and train the body. We're in it, we train because we're looking for the adaptation. Absolutely. We're not, if we want to just be scientists about, about, about stimulus, we can do that. But at the end of the day, it's not the stimulus. It's the way that we respond to the stimulus. That's what we're looking for. And if we're not approaching the stimulus in the way that's going to give us the response – or there's things in the way that are getting better, that, uh, that are not allowing us to achieve that adaptation, we need to figure out what that is.
0: Absolutely. Well, Tim, I could speak about this, uh, about everything with you for an <laughs> hour, but I'm yeah. just conscious of time. And I know Amsterdam's, uh, Amsterdam's an hour ahead and I'm sure you've got an early start. Yes so yeah, we gotta, just we got to get up early yeah i'm just going to round it up but i do really appreciate your your insight and and i love how you think about things so thank you for giving up 45 50 minutes of your time um to chat yes. with me
1: Bob, well thank you for the opportunity i hope i didn't bore you or uh you know, offend you in any way
0: <laughs> no like i say we could carry this on for another hour but I just—I know you're gonna get up early. But just before I let you go, where can people um, keep up to date with everything that you've got going on?
1: You know, I—I uh, I try to do a little bit on uh, on Twitter. My my handle there is uh, tpolo7. Um, I do—I I post things from time to time. A lot of the stuff that I'll post, I, I try to post it in a way that. You know, actually, I got into social media because I wanted to connect more with my athletes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow. My athletes, uh, on Saturday and Sunday were sitting on their phone and I wasn't with them. So mm-hmm. I actually, I started using Twitter and, and Instagram to get into, the, to, to get in front of them. And so for me, sometimes I'll, I'll, I post things on those, on those mediums. Uh, and some people, you know, I, I do it for coaches, but for the most part, I do it for my athletes. Um, but yeah, so you can, you can find me there. Um, I, I spend some time on that. So there you cool. go.
0: Happy days. Well, we'll keep in touch. Enjoy Amsterdam. Right, bye, Thank you. Good luck. Very much. good luck for the uh, for the rest of the week. Yes. And we'll, thank uh, you. We'll speak soon.
1: Sounds great. Thank you. Uh, have a good evening. And again, thank you. I'm honored to be able to to talk and uh, and share just my my perspective.
0: Appreciate that. Thanks, mate. Speak soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, mate, bye, bye, bye. Thanks again for tuning in to episode 79 of the Pacing Performance Podcast. As I said at the start, if you have any feedback whatsoever for myself, uh, Tim or the podcast as a whole, I'd really appreciate you firing it over, whether it's a direct message on Twitter, an email, um, whatever it may be, Uh, I want to, again, make the podcast better uh, for the listeners and and just increase the service that it provides really, so uh, thanks again for your support i uh, got some great guests coming up over the next weeks and months, uh, and I will see you in episode 80.